0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you who are here, all of you joining us online, if you're visiting with us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a community here at the Springs that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. We do that through gathering in the name of the Father, growing into his image, and going by the power of his spirit. And it is a blessing to be a part of this church family. And I'm very mindful of that as we come upon the 70th anniversary of the Springs that we're going to celebrate this Wednesday night. If this church means anything to you, if this body of believers means anything to you, we really want you to be here on Wednesday night, if possible, to celebrate. Because it's my guess that there's no one in this room. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. As soon as I say this, somebody's going to come up and was like, I was there, <laughs> right? That, that no one in this room or very few people in this room were a part of this church when it began this community is a gift to you it's a gift to me i wasn't here in the beginning and neither are most of you but god has sustained this community over different locations different people It's had an identity that's bigger than your your identity or my identity alone. And you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Thanks be to God for that. So we're going to invite you to come out this Wednesday and celebrate 70 years and the gift that this community has been. So we're in a sermon series, Philippians One Spirit, One Mind, One Love. And Brett kicked us off last week. Philippians 2, which we, part of it we just recited because Brett and I thought that that was the centerpiece to understanding the book of Philippians. So now we're gonna begin in chapter one from verse one through 18. So Philippians 1, one through 18 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will carry it out until the, until com, uh, com, to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. And so this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters. That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains. Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And. And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change, chains. Well What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks for your word. It gives light to our lives. It gives light where there are darkness. Where we can't see and we don't know the way. And so, God, show us the way this morning. Give us ears to hear, hearts to follow, lives and bodies that will obey. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. For I pray in the name of Jesus who has shown us the way. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So what are they concerned about? It's a question that I ask every Tuesday and Thursday morning this semester as I'm teaching at Oklahoma Christian. I'm teaching a course that I teach about every other fall, about every fall called Cultural Anthropology and it is what you think it is, it's study of culture. It's part of the regular rotation of courses that I teach on missions because we think, yeah, if you're if you're going to do ministry and you're going to do missions, you need to know something about culture. So one of the assignments that I give my students is that every student is supposed to bring a prayer. They sign up and it just so happens there's enough students that every student's going to pray twice. But they don't bring their own prayer. They go find some prayer from a different culture. And they're even invited to to bring some like cultural proverb or saying or kind of poetry. Or maybe it's not a Christian prayer, but to bring that prayer and to somehow Christianize it a bit. And then the goal of that, so we pray together, but then we kind of take a few minutes and they talk about where the prayer's from or where this comes from and the people that it comes from. And then we share together like what do you notice? What are their concerns? Because one of the things that I want them to to see is if you pay attention to people's prayers. You'll understand what they're concerned about. So. Sometimes they're concerned about guilt. Sometimes they're concerned about fear. And things outside of them. Sometimes they're concerned about justice. Sometimes you could tell they're way concerned about the past. Or they're really concerned about the future. Maybe their loved ones are important. Maybe something else is important. But we ask the question, what are they concerned about based off their, these prayers? And it just so happens that Paul begins his letter to the Philippians with a thanksgiving and a prayer. And so Philippians 1, 3 through 8, we just read it, says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains defending the gospel or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. So if you ask the question what is Paul concerned about when he begins this prayer. This thanksgiving. Well he's concerned about these people. What's important to him is rejoicing. Right? All of these things. But I highlighted two things. Because what, re- what is he rejoicing about? What is it about these people that he's thankful for? And there's two things. And the first one is Partnership partnership in the gospel this word partnership in Greek you've probably heard of it koinonia that's the word that's used it means fellowship or joint participation the Greeks would even use this term in a political sense it would mean republic or commonwealth for a Canadian friend here John It's the sharing of a certain identity. It means communion. Where if we break down that word for us, it literally means with union. Or community. You could break down that word, it means with unity. So what is he thankful for? The koinonia and the gospel, the fellowship we have in the gospel. And the second thing that's highlighted is the sharing of God's grace. It's the sharing in the gospel. The sharing of common commitments. So these two things participating in sharing united in unity around what? Around the gospel. That's what Paul's thankful for. He rejoices in these people and he's thankful for these people because there is koinonia in the gospel. There is sharing of good news. Now this good news, you have to understand what this good news is according to Paul in Philippians. And to do that, we need to understand something about culture. There's, there's different aspects to culture, but one of the things that you could talk about, there's doing cultures and there's being cultures. All right? So a little lesson, and I think you'll be able to relate to these two. So a doing culture is your identity is based off what you do. Now, this is true... This is true for women in our culture in American culture, but this is particularly true for men. Let's see if you this sounds familiar. So if you're gonna meet somebody for the first time and you walk up, the first thing you're gonna do is ask their name, right? What's the next question that men always get asked? What do you do? Why do we ask that question? Why don't we ask where are you from? Who's your people? Do you see, like, this is, this is so ingrained in us, we're a doing culture. So your identity is based off of what you do. So you, you know this famous phrase in Western culture. Some of my students have heard me talk about this. That Rene Descartes, the famous modern philosopher, you know this phrase. Even if you don't know, it's Rene Descartes. But he says, I think, therefore, the doing of thinking. Is about my identity. I do this thing. I think. Therefore I am. And so in doing cultures, salvation is largely based on what we do. Now I know we say, no, no, no. It can't be what you do. It's not what you do that saves you. But we have to remind ourselves of that, right? Because we're such a doing people. that's where identity comes from. What you do. But in being cultures, your identity is based on who you belong to. So, forgive me because I always use African stories, but this is just a But in Uganda, I could go back and visit my friends in Uganda and it doesn't matter if I cannot remember their name, they are not offended. If we're very close and for some reason I cannot remember their name, they are not offended. But if I cannot remember where, what village they're from, ah, they are highly offended. How can you forget where I'm from? And it's because their identity doesn't come from something here. It comes from something out here. So in doing cultures, if Rene Descartes says, I think, therefore I am, in being cultures, you would take that Descartes phrase and you would say, they are, therefore I am. My identity comes from this group. Being cultures are based on who they belong to. So much so that one day I was having this conversation with a group of African Christians and, and we are talking about hell and they were asking questions and one of the Ugandans said this. He goes, I think hell for us is this. He didn't describe it as this place of burning fire and punishment. That's not how he imagined it. Hell was being cut off from the group. That's hell. Being separated. So this is why in early Christianity... Right When somebody's excommunicated from the church It's this, not this punishment But it's a way of getting them to come back in It's because if this is your group And they push you out of the group You're not a part of another group You have no identity And so it was a way to say I, I, I don't know who I am without you That doesn't work so much in our culture I don't do that much anymore It's not as pragmatic for us but I remember being in Greece with the Geiers. We were in Greece and all the uh, Iranian Christians that we met. And the kind of shame they felt because to become a Christian was to be cut off from their people. But I can't tell you, they didn't know us from anybody, but that they could identify with us and that they could see themselves as a part of us, not just us three here and Brett And Kim that were there. But all of a sudden we represented you guys. And all of a sudden they said. This is who we belong to. And there was a sense of comfort. And belonging and identity. Did you sense that? This is what salvation looks like. In the book of Philippians. Salvation looks like. Koinonia. Fellowship. It looks like mutual participation. It looks like sharing. It looks like common union, communion with one another. It is, salvation is a community of good news and it's the good news of common unity. That's what salvation is in the book of Philippians. You can go on to read in chapter 1 and see what the problem is. What Paul's real concern is. So Philippians one fifteen through 15-17 says this. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way... Whether it's false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And so I've highlighted here what the real problem is for Paul. The real problem is selfish ambition. That's the real problem. Brett talked about this last week when he preached from Philippians 2. And you hear from Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is the problem. For the Philippian church. In the city of Philippi. And it's because. Their real concern. Some speculate that this is like. The first church. That began in what's Europe today. It's a Roman colony. So they have Roman concerns. And the Roman concern. That Brett even talked about last week. Is honor. They are obsessed with Honor. And there's two ways to get honor and kind of an honor culture. The first way is this, achieved honor. Achieved honor is based off of what you do, getting back to this doing culture. I am what I do. I get advanced degrees, I'm educated. I go to medical school, I'm a doctor. I run a good business, I'm successful. I run fast, I'm an athlete. I make good grades, I'm a good student. I work in a factory making chicken nuggets, I'm a factory worker. And you see some of those things have more honor than others. Now we say they don't, but some occupations have more honor than others. And it's also about what you do achieved is about if I do bad things, I'm a bad person. So if I steal, I'm a thief. If I don't work, I'm lazy. Do you see how that, you achieve shame and you achieve honor. But there's a second way to get honor. And the second way is called what's called ascribed honor. And ascribed honor is honor that is given to you by someone else. In other words, someone else includes you, accepts you, and your belonging is not based off of what you do, but based off of what someone else says this is who you are. This is what Paul calls grace, it's a gift. And this is why we have such a hard time with grace. Because we do as well believe in honor and shame. But we do it from achieved honor. Because what I do is who I am. And God says, no, honor, honor doesn't come from you. Honor doesn't come from your effort. Honor is given by God. And that's a gift. And Paul says, and you share in this gift of grace. It is not primarily about what you do. Although that matters. For Paul, he says, it's primarily about who you belong to. Brett summed it up well last week. I can't, I can't overstress this enough. That you find the gospel in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2. And in a way, you could call it the gospel of humility. That Jesus comes down and shows us the way. Salvation is revelation. Right? Jesus comes down, and he shows us the way of salvation. In this way is not to grasp for honor even though he was God. He did not grasp for that, but he humbled himself. Humility is the manifestation of faith in the life of believers. It's faith that God will honor you. You can't go grasping for it. You can only humbly receive it. And this is the good news according to Paul. Philippians 2, 6-11. It says this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. Assuming assuming human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God God exalted him even more highly and gave him a name that is above every other name. This is how Jesus saves, according to Philippians. Philippians. Jesus comes to reveal to us the way of salvation. It is through him. It is his way. The way of humility on a cross in order to receive honor in the resurrection. Philippi was a society, was a social stratified society. They were obsessed with status markers such as Roman citizenship, public office, prestigious titles. Persons of every class competed with their peers for honor. And Paul resisted this race for honor that marked the social life of Philippi. The apostle recognized that this that that this Roman honor culture had the potential to seriously undermine the radically different relationships that Jesus intended for his community of followers. I hear a lot of people talking about being co- countercultural Christians. Here's here's one thing I'm sure of. If you want to be a countercultural Christian, be humble. There seems to be this air that to be braggadocious and brash and arrogant this seems to be the way even some Christians think that it, what it means to be a Christian, and that's what that's what Paul's saying, saying no 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 no, no, if you want to be countercultural, be humble, be humble. This is perhaps why Paul refers to himself as a servant in the very opening lines where normally he refers to himself in his letters as an apostle. And do you notice why the gospel has gone out? He's in chains. And he goes, actually, this has served that the gospel, his very humble state of being in prison has demonstrated the gospel of humility. And his jailers believe this is something different. It's a different way. That you, you're humble in order to participate, to share in, to have communion with God and others. This is not something you earn. This is not something you do to earn, but it is a posture you must have to receive. Humility is just the recognition that only God honors. Only God saves This is what faith looks like. And he says, because of all this, here's what he prays for. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. He says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insights so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love is not simply some affection. But love is placing a high value on another person And this is expressed by actively seeking the benefit of the one loved. Remember Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Love and humility go together. Humility is this. Humility is considering others better than yourself. Considering others better than yourself. And love is this looking after the interests of others above your own interests. And he wants you to abound more and more in love and knowledge and an in insight. He wants to, uh, you to understand that this kind of life of love, of considering other people's interest over your own, is the good life. That is the good life. It is the best life that can be lived. And he says also that not only you know this in your head, but that you have insight, you fully experience it so that you can discern how to live out that love. Brad Giddens and I had breakfast yesterday morning. And we both talked about why we're here at the Springs. And we both agreed. It's not because of the preaching. Thank you, Brad. (laughs) Brad wants all the credit for this insight, by the way. What I'm about to say. How ironic. He's so humble. It's not the programs. It's not the facilities. It's you. We sat and had eggs and agreed. This because of the love of the people, these people that sit with us. That's why we're here. And we talked about why churches flourish. And yeah, preaching's, Preaching's important. And good preaching's important. And I know some of you are like, amen, we wish we had some of that. But that's neither here nor there right now. Programs, preaching, all that's super important. But you know why churches flourish? It's because the people in them that love. That's why churches flourish. Now you've all experienced this kind of love. I'm sure of it. You've experienced love from the church. In fact, you've experienced love from this church. I'm sure of it. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. And I know some of you have not always experienced love. Or enough love. Or we forgot about you. Or something happened. Like that happens. Right? We're, we're, We're sinful people. We're people that are trying to learn how to love more. But I know you've all experienced, whether from this church or another church, you've experienced love. So I want you to, real quick, here in a second I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to say, if you have experienced the love of God through his people, I want you to say amen. Here in a minute. And I want you to say amen if you've experienced a lot, say it loudly. If it's a little, you can do a little. Right? But I want you to close your eyes. If you have experienced God's love through his people, say, amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. You're growing in the knowledge. You have insight to it. We don't always get it right. But we're the ones that experience God's love. And we know that it's good. I've experienced the love of God through this church. And it was before I even... Started preaching or came back to the Springs. As many of you know, Bella, my daughter. Sorry, Bella, I forgot. I was—I didn't tell you I was going to tell this story. She had cancer when she was little, when she was two. And we were down at Children's Hospital. And the Fritches, who don't even go to church here anymore. They came to visit us. We weren't even at the Springs. And then Phil and Jane Loafman would come regularly visit us. And we didn't even go to the Springs. And then Steve Dye showed up in our hospital room. He was the preacher here at the time. He wasn't even our preacher. We didn't go to this church. But guess what? When the Fritches came and when the Loafmans came and when Steve Dye came, it wasn't just them that came. I remember thinking the springs showed up in our hospital room. It only takes one. So we can't always all show up. But if one shows up, we all show up. And I felt included in a a community I wasn't a part of. When my brother Adam died as a missionary in Africa... People from villages all over before we left to bring his body home showed up. And I remember thinking, as long as just one person, that village was there with that one person. They showed up. That love showed up. And then when we got home, there were not only churches like Edmund Church of Christ and the Springs Church of Christ and Memorial Road. And you start naming all the churches. Churches, people from the churches in Oregon showed up. Arkansas, Texas, Virginia, Washington, D.C., I never met these people in my life in some of these churches. Guess what I felt from those churches? Love. This is what the world is craving. We're trying to desperately run around and earn love from people. Can I achieve it? They want to receive something, not earned, but to belong to something that is not theirs, to be loved. Love, it's the best life. And we want to share it with others in our action. Partnership, sharing, fellowship, communion. This is the good work that God has begun in you and I. And will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Because it is God that has created this fellowship, not you. God has created this communion, not you. God has united you with himself and others, not you. God has loved you and included you. And you will only receive this in humility. And this unity, this communion, this thing that we share, community together. This unity is ascribed unto us by God. And the only way to receive it, maintain it, and to show it to the world is through humility and love. Have one mind, one spirit, one love. Let's stand.